So as some of you know, uh, Briley Armentrout had a play this last weekend, so a lot of Sonia's family is here with us this morning. Uh, And so I feel like I need to tell my best Sonia story, Um, especially since she's not here because she's not feeling particularly well. I left my clicker in my jacket. I got to get my clicker. Sorry. Isn't that terrible? I have done this before, I promise. All right. Okay, so uh, this this story, I have told it before. Uh, It is good enough, though, it is worth repeating, and I haven't told it in about six years because it happened shortly after we moved here to Georgia. So uh, the background of this story is that Rachel and I were in the process of watching through the show Mad Men. How many of you seen, you'll admit to watching Mad Men? You've seen some of that? Okay. Most of y'all are more righteous than I. That's okay. Uh, But if you have ever seen Mad Men, it is set back in the 1960s, and it focuses on this advertising executive, Don Draper, um, and it is all about what the advertising life in the world was like back in 1960s high-rolling America. So we were watching the show, and the next morning I came into the office and I said, Sonia, one of the things I really like about this show, Mad Men, is the way that Don Draper's secretary treats him. When Don Draper shows up to his office, secretary jumps up, runs over, takes his hat and his coat, brings him a cup of coffee, and says, is there anything else I can do for you today, Mr. Draper? So that's back when secretaries knew how to treat men at the office. And she said to me, she said, I don't know this show. I don't know anything about what you're talking about. I said, come on, Don Draper. She goes, no, I don't know who Don Draper is. So I pulled up a picture on my computer of Don Draper. She looks at the picture of Don Draper and says, well, if you looked like that, (laughs) I'd get you your coffee. So when I told Rachel that story later, uh, she said to me, honey, I'm just looking out for you. But if Sonia ever does bring you your coffee, I wouldn't drink it. So I think that's fair. All right, if you have ever seen the show Mad Men, you know that one of the things in this show uh, is that Don Draper clearly displays the common human problem of thinking that everything is about him. Uh, His whole world revolves around him and his desires and what he wants. Everything is about him. Any of you all ever known anybody like that? Uh, Any of us ever spent way too much of our own lives being like that, right? Now, one of the reasons I bring this up and what I think uh, is important for us is as we read the gospel of Jesus, we recognize that we cannot be the center of the story. We cannot say that Jesus is Lord and then act like it's all about us. To follow Jesus We need to get over ourselves. Uh, And the couple of conversations we're going to look at from the Gospel of Matthew this morning both make this same point that you cannot follow Jesus and have it go your way. You can't follow Jesus and still remain Lord of your own life. If you're going to follow Jesus, it means proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. All right. Uh, The first story we're going to look at this is from Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 18. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And just to, to get the context of our story, remember where we are, uh, Jesus just finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7. And with that, Jesus was demonstrating that he is Lord in word. 
He teaches as one who has authority. And then what we started looking at last week was the first half of chapter 8, where Jesus heals a number of people. And in the next section of Matthew, Jesus will demonstrate that he is also Lord in deed. He's both Lord in word and deed. Now, this teacher, uh, this teacher of the law that we read about in chapter 8 and 19, he has witnessed all of this. He's seen the miraculous things that Jesus has done. And now he is saying, I want to be part of this, right? I want to follow you. Now, at this point in my reading of the gospel, I am thinking, good. Hey, finally, someone from the educated class in Judea, someone who has diligently studied the Bible his entire life, is ready to follow the true Messiah. Okay, this is the goal, right? We're trying to get more followers of Jesus. Especially, it's great if we can get some influential people to follow Jesus, because they're the kind of people who can get more people to follow Jesus. If the goal is to get as many people into the kingdom of God as possible, then this teacher of the law is exactly the kind of guy that we want as part of the Jesus movement. If I'm going to start a church, this is the kind of member that I want to get to become part of my church, right? And so what I expect for Jesus to do at this point is I expect for his next words to be words of affirmation and encouragement. You've made a good choice, my son. Of course you can follow me. Everyone can follow me. We need to give this guy a high five and say, let's go. Instead, notice what Jesus says here in verse 20. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Anyone else confused at this point? All right, here's what I think is going on here. Here's why I think Jesus is basically looking at this guy and saying, you're not ready to follow me. You're not ready to follow the true Messiah of Israel. Okay, for this man to be recognized as a teacher of the law, uh, what he would have done in his earlier life is he would have studied extensively at an established rabbinical school underneath another established rabbi. Uh, To follow a rabbi means to become a part of their school. And so what's going on in this story is that after this teacher has seen Jesus as an amazing teacher, prophet, miracle worker, he undoubtedly thinks, here's what Jesus is going to do next. Now that he's establishing himself as a rabbi, now that he's teaching all these people, doing all these miracles, Jesus is going to go and establish a rabbinical school because that's what you do. And what this teacher of the law wants to do is be part of that. He wants to get in on the ground floor of the new rabbinical school that will be established in this section of the world, and that will undoubtedly lead him to a position of power and authority and influence. You notice the way that he approaches Jesus. He doesn't call him rabbi or lord. He just says teacher, right? No, he does say rabbi. He doesn't call him lord. He says teacher. I want to be part of your teaching. He knows that if he can follow Jesus into this new rabbi school, it will be a ticket to power. So, what is Jesus saying to him with this reply? If you think following me is a path to wealth and power and influence, you're following the wrong rabbi. All right, uh, how many of you are parents? How many, how many parents in the room? Okay, um, and how many of you got into parenting thinking, uh, this is going to be a great, a great way to increase my productivity? Uh, raise them high, right? Uh, how many of you thought, this is going to be a great way to increase how much sleep I get every night? How many of you got into parenting thinking, this is the best financial decision that I can make right now? Yeah. 
Yeah, you're lying, okay? No, if you got into parenting thinking that this is what the kid's room is going to look like, uh, you're going to be disappointed, right? Uh, because eventually you're going to bring home a kid and you're going to open the door and you're going to see this instead. <laughs> now, fortunately, Emily's already ready for this because that's how Titus lives already. So she's good. <laughs> she's good. Okay, here's my point. If you got into parenting, uh, if you go into parenting for selfish and self-serving reasons, uh, if you go in thinking it's going to be all about helping you, you're never going to make it as a parent. And you will miss out on all the joy that you could have if you were to go into parenting thinking it's going to be all about serving and investing in somebody else. And there is a joy that you can find from investing not in yourself but in others. Does that make sense? You see where I'm going with this illustration? Okay, you cannot follow Jesus thinking it's going to be all triumph and glory. If you get into this for you, it's not going to work out really well. Okay, the teacher of the law wants to hear more interesting interpretations and teachings. He doesn't really want to be part of Jesus' ministry reaching out to the least of these. Okay, he wants to see more miraculous healings, right? That'd be awesome. He's not ready to sacrifice his own position and power to make everything in his life revolve around Jesus. Okay, you can't follow Jesus if you're interested in an easy road to the top. It's not going to work. Okay? Uh, one hobby that I have picked up in the last few years, something that I really like to do in my spare time, uh, is I like to listen to podcasts. There's lots and lots of interesting podcasts out there. And one of the reasons I like listening to podcasts so much is because I can do it in my time that I'm already doing other things, right? Like if I'm driving somewhere, I can put on a podcast. If I'm doing chores around the house, which occasionally I do, um, I will listen to a podcast while I'm doing it. Uh, if my kids are being too loud, I just want to tune them out. I can put in earbuds and listen to a podcast. Works great. I can fit podcasting into the life that I already have. I didn't have to carve out any extra time to make podcasts happen. Another hobby that I've been trying to pick up more recently, especially as I'm told I'm getting older, um, is I am trying to exercise more, right? But a lot of times, I don't do that hobby nearly as well as I do the podcasting hobby because I'm not willing to sacrifice the time and the resources that I would have to carve out of my day to make exercising happen. So I don't do that nearly as often as I, as I, as I could, right? You see where I'm going with this illustration? Because okay, here's my next point and what I think Jesus is getting at in his conversation with this guy. Okay, and that is that you cannot follow Jesus and fit him into the life that you already have. Okay, the teacher of the law can't follow Jesus and continue with his current life of being a teacher of the law. Okay, he won't be able to fit Jesus into the life that he already has. Instead, he would have to conform his life to Jesus, and that's more than he's ready to commit. And you see, the problem with both of these things that I put on the board for you is that this is not the call of Jesus. Okay, we can either start with Jesus and join in the work that he is doing, or we're not ready to follow him as Lord. Okay, we can like him as a teacher or as a miracle worker, but not as Lord. And this is an idea that we are going to keep coming back to over and over in Matthew. And the question that all of us have to ask ourselves on a daily basis is, are we serious about following this rabbi, not just as a teacher, but as Lord of our lives? Because that is a very different thing. That work, that makes sense? 
Right now, before we look at the second conversation with Jesus in the next verses in our text this morning, uh, I want to change track just a little bit because hopefully you notice what Jesus called himself there in verse 20. Okay, this is going to be the, the favorite title that Jesus uses for himself. Uh, this is the first time we see it in the Gospel of Matthew, um, and it's something that has puzzled a lot of readers through the ages. That is that Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Right? He could have called himself Son of God. He could have called himself Prince of Peace, Emmanuel. There's lots of different ways Jesus could have referred to himself, but the title that he most often prefers throughout the Gospels is the title Son of Man. Why? Right, well, as we already talked about last week, uh, one of the most widely, one of the most vigorously studied books in Jesus' day was the Old Testament book of Daniel. And one of their favorite books that they kept going back to time and time again was Daniel. Um, and one of the things that you see multiple times in Daniel, one of the reasons that they were so excited about the book of Daniel, is that in that Old Testament prophetic book, they saw this succession of kingdoms that was prophesied. Right, we talked about the statue last week with the different levels, right? And the head of gold represented one kingdom, then the silver represented another. And they knew that they were ready for the kingdom of God to come fill the world. Okay, in Daniel 7, uh, there's another vision with succession of kingdoms. This time it's beasts coming up out of the water. And each beast represents a different kingdom. And then at the end of all those beasts was going to come the kingdom of God. Now, all the Jews in the world had been reading Daniel, watching this succession of kingdoms come throughout history, and they all knew it's time for that kingdom of God to come and fill the whole world, right? So the same way that you and I can know Psalm 23, everyone kind of knows Psalm 23 in, in the Christian world, in the Jewish world, everybody knew Daniel 2, Daniel 7, texts like that. Okay, so notice the end of the prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. Okay, this is 7 starting in verse 13. Daniel writes, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like, what? A son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, who's God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. All right, this image from Daniel was extremely important in the years between the Old Testament ending and Jesus' coming. Okay, again, the way we all know Psalm 23, they knew Daniel chapter 7. Uh, several of the Jewish writings from that intertestamental period mention this prophecy. I want to share with you one. This is from a book called First Enoch, okay, which comes from just a little bit before Jesus. Okay, here's the, the prophecy written there. It says, Pain shall seize them when they see that Son of Man sitting on the throne of his glory. These kings, governors, and all the landlords shall try to bless, glorify, extol him who rules over everything, him who has been concealed. For the Son of Man was concealed from the beginning— and the Most High One preserved him in the presence of his power. Then he revealed him to the holy and the elect ones. So, why does Jesus call himself the Son of Man? He's claiming that in his ministry, he is setting up the only kingdom that matters. He's making a messianic claim. He is claiming that he has come to establish a kingdom which will never end. And the only question that matters is whether or not we're going to follow Jesus into that kingdom. Does that work? 
All right, let's look at the second conversation from Matthew chapter 8 uh, with the last few minutes we have this morning. This is starting in verse 21. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father, which sounds pretty reasonable, right? But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And like the last saying of Jesus, this sounds extremely strange to us. Uh, Why in the world would taking the time to bury your father keep you from following Jesus? And in their world, uh, even more than in ours, one of your primary duties as a son was to take care of your parents, especially as they got older. Um, Especially, it was your responsibility as a son to make sure that your father was properly buried. Uh, The law that God gave us, you read several Old Testament texts which talk about your obligation as a son to take care of the burial of your parents. In fact, it was taught in Jesus' day that the only thing that should prevent you from saying your daily prayers was if you had to bury your parents. Uh, This is from the Talmud, uh, which is after Jesus, but it reflects the teaching that was around in Jesus' day. Um, Here's what it says. It says, He who is confronted by a dead relative is freed from reciting the Shema, which is the the hero Israel, the Lord our God, Lord is one, which is what you prayed every single morning as a Jew. Okay, from the 18 benedictions, which is what you would pray later in the day, uh, and from all the commandments stated in the Torah. What is the one thing that can keep you from following specific rules of the law? It's burying your parents. So, why would Jesus say, let the dead bury their own dead? Okay, and the short answer is, I don't know. Uh, There's a lot of different theories on what Jesus means with this, uh, and I'm certainly not going to be dogmatic about it. Uh, I had a teacher in in seminary who thought that what was going on in this story is there's two different burials in Judaism, right? There's the first burial where you put your loved one in a tomb, and you would come back about a year later and take the remains and put them in an ossuary box, which is a smaller box, right? So like you're first off buried in a tomb like Jesus was, and then after the body decays, you take all the bones, you put them in a little box. And so what this is talking about is that second burial, not the first one. Yeah, that's one theory. I don't think it's right. Uh, second theory, what most scholars think is going on here uh, is that this guy's father hasn't died yet. Okay? Um, because if the father had died, he wouldn't be out listening to what Jesus is teaching and said he would be attending to his family like you do as a good Jew. And so what this guy is saying is not, hey, my dad died. I need to go bury him real fast. What this guy is saying is, hey, my dad's getting on in years. As soon as he finally passes, then I'll be free from upsetting my parents and then I can come follow you. And Jesus is saying what? Doesn't work that way. Okay. Either way, or whatever's going on behind this text that I'm not really sure of, here's what I think is the point. And that is that you cannot follow Jesus and keep your options open. Okay. If you're going to follow Jesus, follow Jesus. But you can't follow Jesus and keep your options open. All right, back in the fall of 2003, uh, when my wife and I were in college, we were dating. Uh, And one evening, I took her out on a very special date, and at the end of the date, I got down on one knee, took a ring out of my pocket, and gave it to her and said, will you marry me? And she said, yes. It was more like a yes, but it was yes. But she said, now, I want you to imagine uh, that when I was giving her that ring, I said, honey, I really want to be your husband. I want you to be my wife, uh, and I just want you to know I'm going to continue to date other girls up until the wedding. Uh, just because I really want to make sure that I keep all my options on the table um, up until the very last possible second. Uh, How how well do you think that would have gone over? Yeah. Right. Uh, Not well at all. 
Okay, if you're ready to pledge your life to your partner, you're either all in or don't bother. If we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to declare him Lord, then we're either all in or don't bother. Uh, There is nothing else in your life that you need to straighten out first. You don't need to bother to get your affairs in order. You need to follow the Son of Man who has come to establish a kingdom which will fill the world, a kingdom which will never end. And it's not going to be an easy road, but it's going to be the only road that matters. Have you made Jesus Lord? All right, at this time in our service, uh, we are going to sing a few verses of an invitation song. Uh, during the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. This is a time in our service where we, as the church, want to be here for you. Uh, we would love to talk with you or pray with you about anything that is going on in your life. Uh, and you can do that during this next song. And before we sing it, I'd like to close us with a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.